Before we jump into this episode, I'm excited to announce our brand new Alt-Doc HELOC product. That's right, the wait is over. Fund Loans has a second position home equity line that uses 12 months bank statements to qualify. We can do loan amounts up to 500,000 and CLTVs up to 90%. Inquire today at fundloans.com. On this episode, I get the chance to sit down with Kevin McLaughlin. You might have heard the saying, there are only two certain things in life, death and taxes. Well, he specializes in both. He is a tax attorney and managing partner for McLaughlin Legal here in San Diego. Besides winning awards for his work, Kevin goes head-to-head with the IRS, as well as deals with civil and criminal tax litigation. We discuss topics such as what to do if a tax lien pops up on one of your loans, self-employment trends in 2019, bank statement loans versus full doc, and how to create referral relationships with tax attorneys to get those million-dollar deals. Welcome to the Million Dollar Mortgage Experience Podcast. Listen in as CEO John Maddox of Fund Loans reveals tips, secrets, and origination ideas to fill your pipeline with million-dollar opportunities. Welcome to the show. All right, Kevin, how's it going? Good, John. How are you? Doing great. So you are a managing partner in a law firm, and is this law firm that you started? It is. Uh, Started it... 11 years ago. Nice. And you deal directly with the IRS. You deal with customers who are, you know, self-employed, I'm sure. You have clients that, uh, you know, have had, I'm sure have tax issues, just like, you know, people, you know, humans in, in America do. Yeah, we, we do. We do a lot of that. Our, our firm is kind of broken up into into two two halves. We have, okay. um, uh, we do tax and estate planning. So on the tax side, we have a pretty good focus on what we refer to as controversy or litigation work. So defending and representing individuals, small to mid-sized businesses, self-employed businesses um, of any size, but that's kind of a sweet spot. Okay. Uh, and then the estate planning side as well. We nice. Trust administrations, try to avoid probate, but all the usual uh, nuts and bolts there. Interesting. Yeah, a lot of our loans that we do are jumbo and, and a lot of them have uh, trusts. They're going to have, you know, uh, irrevocable, mostly revocable trusts, but Occasionally, you'll see an irrevocable, which we don't do. Um, what would you say, you know, tell me a little bit how you got your start. I know as an entrepreneur, a lot of our uh, viewers are entrepreneurs as well. Um, tell us kind of how you got your start and what caused you to want to deal with the IRS <laughs> and uh, taxes. Yeah, oh, I appreciate that. You know, it's it's kind of like the old thing in, in law, at least. You you go out on your own for one of either two reasons. Either you really wanted to or you had to. And, yeah. Uh, I was kind of a combination of both. I got out of a, a graduate degree program, earning my LLM and tax, and there just weren't a lot of jobs when I was getting out. Mm-hmm. I knew that I always wanted to go out on my own, and uh, I was fortunate enough to meet a, a very good mentor who kind of was willing to act as a bit of a crutch and get me out there, and uh, got out, hustled for clients, went door to door for the first year. Rolled up your sleeves, got your shovel out, and just said, I'm going to do this. I did. Nice. Yeah. And uh, did, did uh, you know, growing up, did you ever like, were you fascinated by numbers or anything like that? Or is it just really more that you <laughs> wanted to run a business? Uh, it, it, quite the opposite. I wasn't kind of a numbers guy. Uh, math was actually not a very good uh, topic for me. Uh, grew up around entrepreneurs. I mean, my mom was one as well and, and saw that in the family. So I, I don't know if it runs in the blood, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoy that. The, the controversy and the practice of law I really enjoy and then being the business owner secondarily is is a great reward. 
Well, what do they say? The two things that are certain in life is death and taxes, right? We try to cover <laughs> both of those. <laughs> yeah. Estate planning. Yep. And then the tax stuff. So as a lawyer, I mean, do you, do you, you litigate, you go into court, you, you deal with the IRS, like you go knuckle to knuckle. We do. Yeah. We do. Uh, we litigate quite a lot. Uh, well, I would say that the various phases of litigation, the actual, you know, TV style in front of a courtroom and a judge in the robes and that whole deal. You know, we, we probably end up doing a trial against the IRS once a year. Okay. Uh, at any time, we'll maybe have a dozen to two dozen matters that are pending mm-hmm. litigation. But that's kind of the end of the spectrum of the continuation of, of kind of a controversy. We do Got lots it. of things that begin, you know, with the audit, the appeal, the administrative process before you're actually in litigation. So the IRS, I think to a lot of people is just like this scary, dark, you know, thing that's out there that you just, you know, you don't want to mess with the IRS. You don't, you know, they can take your house, they can take your, you know, they can ruin, ruin your credit. And if you, you know, um, you know, as we know, they're humans too. I mean, they're they're also uh, flawed, and and sometimes IRS makes mistakes, and sometimes you know we'll get a credit report, or you know there'll be something where there's an issue, and it's not necessarily, you know, correct. Or you know, how often do you ever do you overturn the IRS, or how how often would you say that you can win, you know, in, in a court case like that? Yeah, you know, I mean, win is kind of different for every case and every sure. client. That the, the kind of a, a a varying degree of what might be success. We are fortunate enough to have a pretty good track record and, and, you know, we do certainly find mistakes, Mm -hmm. you know, um, blatant mistakes are not very common, but those are easy enough to remedy. But yeah, absolutely. With with some pushback, you can, you can usually get some pretty good results. Do you ever see people go to jail these days from, for like IRS stuff? Yes. Wow. Fortunately, none of our clients, but we do, uh, we do criminal tax work as well. So when somebody is, um, is identified as a target. Uh, it, it's a different, that is an entirely different animal than w- what I referred to earlier is kind of the civil side of things. Right. When it's just about money. Yeah. You know, when it's about incarceration and freedom, and it's a criminal matter. It's a different animal. Interesting. So our viewers, as we talked about earlier, are, are mortgage brokers and they're interested in, you know, ways to find loans and, and originates. You know, we have the obvious things like, you know, buying leads on online or, uh, you know, getting, you know, referrals from real estate agents. I'm sure you've had in your, in your, you know, your, your long career here, um, mortgage brokers come to you and say, Hey, you know, do you ever have, you know, deals where you could refer me someone or do you ever have any kind of, uh, potential borrower that, you know, might need my services. Will you tell us a little bit about kind of that side of your, you know, your career? Have you seen any of that where you had to refer some deals out and things yeah, like that? Uh, absolutely. I mean, we refer things and are appreciative of the referrals that come our way. And right. you know, I think that is one of the keys, I think, to the success that we built up is, is the referrals. And, you know, we, so 99% of our clients that we get is referrals, word of mouth and doing great work. Um, you know, that, it's not the barrier, but that's the key, I think, that we look at when we're referring clients mm-hmm. out. You know, we, we we have not only, you know, a fiduciary responsibility to them, but we like our clients, right. most of them. And, and we want to make sure that they're with somebody who's going to treat them well and do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, so so when we do have out referrals, to, and we absolutely have had them for, for mortgage brokers, um, that's the, the, you know, we're, I wouldn't say we're careful, but, but you know, we're, 
we are it is an important decision and to yep. tell a client who we recommend you want to work with people that are knowledgeable that Absolutely. have good product selection like like for instance you know wells fargo or bank of america is not going to necessarily be a, a good fit because their products sometimes just can't you know they can't deal with someone who has an irs issue or you know things like that there might be in the guides that you know if they've had an irs lien in the last year they just can't do the loan things like that i mean when we are uh look we you know we'll look at uh, you know a mortgage broker will look at a credit report or we'll look at a uh, you know a fraud report and we'll see like an IRS lien that's the kiss of death sure. to a deal you're just like my deal's dead oh no you know what do we do so what would you say or what kind of advice would you give to a mortgage broker that saw an IRS lien on a on a property on a title report pop up like what do they do can they call someone like you and you can help and you know, yeah, and let me let me remind me to return to that. But but on that issue, to, to your first question about um, outbound referrals, like that that has been a key um, issue. You know, well, yeah. our clients just the nature of our services and the nature of our practice kind of either one of two things: either one, they're on the tax side, and not yet, hopefully not, but sometimes quite frequently, mm-hmm. they are not as credit worthy because of tax issues, you know, installment agreements, liens, whatever it might be. Uh, So they have their own reasons that they might not be able to get conventional mortgages at Wells Fargo or whomever. On the other side of it, on the estate planning side, you know, those people are usually making decisions about the end of their life where mortgages are not, you know, lending is not their their key. They're looking at actually dissipating their assets and sending it down to the next generations. Things like, you know, insurance and life insurance Mm -hmm. more specifically become more of a an issue for them, but refinancing does come up quite frequently in the estate planning context right. when buying out siblings. Sure. Okay, you've got a piece of property, you don't have the liquidity, mm-hmm. but you don't want to own it with your estranged sister-in-law <laughs> in you know, Alabama, you got to pay her off and you need to come up with the cash somewhere. Um, so that's kind of when, when we, we certainly do see it. Uh, to your second question about, you know, if there's something on credit reports or, mm-hmm. or um, title, report. title reports, you know, the, what, unless you're looking at the finances and it's determined that there's a lien or something like that, or excuse me, an installment agreement or a liability to the IRS, you know, the credit report or the title is going to, what it picks up is the liens. Right. That could be IRS. It could be state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first thing for a broker is to figure out w- what it is, yeah, who it is. Right. And that's, Sometimes not as easy. Could it be sales tax? Could it be use tax? Could it be payroll taxes, income taxes? What is it? Civil civil penalties. Especially for a self-employed borrower. Especially self-employed borrower. Because, you know, if they are using as a sole proprietor, self-employed, if they Mm -hmm. haven't incorporated or LLC or anything like that, you know, all of that extra, you know, payroll taxes, sales taxes, use taxes, whatever it might be is going to hit them on their personal um, liability. Uh, You know, engaging a professional early in the process, you know, if the, the borrower is coming and being clear that that is an issue mm-hmm. to encountering, I think that's obviously the first step in that relationship. Yeah. Sometimes they try to hide it. They're like, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I've got no issues with the IRS. And then you, then it pops up. And that's what I'm saying. Like the kiss of death. You're like, oh my gosh, this, this is like, I was counting on this commission and now it's gone. Yeah. And, and, and the reality is, and, and why I think either one to engage another professional early, or at least have the client bring it up early is you, you have to work back that that lead time mm-hmm. and and you know to deal with a lien if, if you're buying real estate 
you know, again, there might be something you can do to either get it on an installment agreement, assess uh-huh. whether the client could get the lien either withdrawn or, you know, subordinated in some sense. It's buying property is going to be a little bit more difficult, but you could get on, for example, an installment agreement, and that might right. be sufficient for purposes of the lender. It, all of that is going to require time. So if you've got a fixed you're date a that rush. you're going to close, it, you know, and you come and it's closing on Friday <laughs> and you're coming on Monday. And you see a lien, you're like, oh, It's shit. not going to happen. No. You know? and, and so the, 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 the other side, I think, where there's actually more that can be done is on the selling side of it and, mm-hmm. and an opportunity for, for at least loan originators to add value to the kind of the whole transaction. Mm-hmm is if the seller has liens, that's something that's gonna be need to be dealt with for mm-hmm. the buyer to get clean title. And that, you know, is an opportunity to get discharges, subordinations, withdraws, something else, and be able Are to Are those come, a little faster? So like you could- A little bit faster. You could get on the phone and deal with it. Yeah, I mean, the, the IRS does recognize, you know, the sense of urgency in those matters. So, mm-hmm. so typically- Plus they're gonna get paid, right? They're gonna get paid, well, not necessarily. If there's equity. If there's equity. Um, you know, the two on the seller side of things, the two that we encounter is typically is either subordination or a discharge. Got so it. subordination, and this would be on a refi as well. Mm-hmm. So you actually might have somebody who owns and wants to refi and right. it's not credit worthy. You know, the, the lender in that situation is going to have concerns about being in a second position to the IRS. Yeah. So a subordination, you get a nice little certificate, a letter from them saying, mm-hmm. okay, we will take a second position to lender ABC. How often does that, do they say yes to that? Like the IRS? I'm not the best judge of that yeah. because, you know, we're from our practice frequently. Okay. I, mean, I, I think that only in rare occasions are clients, you know, completely turned down sure those. You know, it's common sense, right? Like if you're trying to pull cash out to go, you know, on vacation or do something like that's that's self-serving, like the IRS is going to say no. But if you're getting a better interest rate, you're reducing your debt, they're going to say yes. Like, is it common sense like that? Absolutely. And that's, I think the narrative and how you present it too. you're not taking this out to buy a boat. Right. But you, if you're paying for your kid's college or something, maybe. Yeah, like an ordinary and necessary household expense. Correct. You, gotcha. It's still going to be encumbered. Um, you know, I'm going to use this. I'm going to bring my interest rate down from, you know, I don't know, 10 to five. Mm-hmm. And the difference in my monthly payment, I'm going to free that cash up and I'm going to be able to pay you Uncle Sam a little bit sooner. Gotcha. So, yeah, they do recognize that. And it's That's a little cool. bit freer. So do you have like a bat phone to, to the IRS? Do you have like somebody over there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we don't have a bat phone, but we, we we have built up relationships over the years. And, you know, it, it, first in general, practitioners sure. have access to services that the general public don't have right and kind of it's not to get to the front of the line but we kind of have an express lane where if you're by yourself you're going to spend four hours on hold you know we're mm-hmm. on hold for 15 minutes um and then within the local community we, we have a you know like to think we have a pretty good relationship and reputation and and you know if we don't know where to go mm-hmm. we have contacts that can at least guide us in the right direction that's cool yeah i would think that like you know when you're dealing with the irs you want a professional it's like you're not going to go you know if you have problems with your eyes or your feet you're not going to go to just you know anybody nurse down the street you're going to go to a, a specialist right i mean how how important is it would you say if someone has an irs issue to deal with someone like you like an attorney like yeah I- you know, I love that, John, that analogy, you know, it's, it's like, and I've told many clients this, you know, it's sometimes that they're 
Herculean issues, and, and it's a foregone conclusion. You, you actually have you have to have a professional because you right. know, this is the decision between because you, you going to jail ads. or not going to jail. You hear these ads, and they're like, "Let us battle the IRS for you." You know, we're blah blah blah. And they all these, you know, yeah, and we'll the, settle pennies on the dollar, right? Like this and, stuff. And the ads are making reference to the offer and compromise program, and, and, right. and grossly oversimplifying it. Um, it. It's a great program. It works for lots of people, but but it is not. It is not as easy as they would want you to believe in those sure. commercials. If you're bankrupt, you could probably get an offer, offer and compromise. I, I tell a lot of clients, at least with the state of California, the Franchise Tax Board, mm-hmm. you have to be almost indigent to get an offer and compromise through. The IRS wow. is a little bit more flexible. And mm-hmm. again, there's a lot that goes into that analysis about projections of future income, you know, uh, age, medical issues, the statute of limitations on collections. There's There's a whole kind of half art, half science behind doing those. Um, you, you asked a question, though, kind of when to engage yeah. a professional. Yeah, does it make sense to, to get a professional? You know, and, and you kind of draw that analogy, you know, you don't want to, you know, I've told clients, many clients before, you know, you don't, you don't need me, okay? You know, similarly, you, you don't need to go to a professional to get your oil changed in your car. You don't right. you don't you don't need to have a contractor build your house. Right. You don't need that. Right. But what you're paying for is kind of that expertise and the time and you you rent my brain and my skill set to do it. Mm-hmm. And if that has value to you, we're happy to to jump in. Right. And there's lots of times where we give, you know, just free, you know, Consultations. Absolutely. We actually we almost always get free consultations, right? You know, and again, because you, you might come in and it's a it's a and this is not dismissive of those matters because for everybody it's all relative. But you might come in and say that you owe the IRS eighteen thousand dollars, mm-hmm. and you know, it does not make financial sense to pay us to help you. And I will right. give you the laundry list of everything <laughs> you need to do from step A to step Z to get yourself to where you need to be and, you know, have a good result. But, um, certainly it's more significant amounts. Like if you got, and I would say, you know, dealing with jumbo clients that we deal with and dealing with people who have self-employed and they've got, you know, where they're not W two, so they're not taking you know every month money out of their check to, but they're just taking you know mm-hmm. straight checks from the company. That probably happens more often than not. Where uh, you know an entrepreneur will just think, well, yeah, I'll deal with this later, and I'm just going to take money from the company because it's profitable, and they see it going, and then all of a sudden, come you know December, January, or next April, you're like, oh shit, you know, I've, I've I don't have enough money to pay the. T- this tax. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the number one reason for, for the collection side. You know, when we when we do the tax and the controversy, it's, it's it itself kind of is, is, is a spectrum. And, and all taxes is, you know, we always look about it. There's a, kind of the compliance base. This is what you do with your return preparer and mm-hmm. leading up to April 15th to file the return, which we don't we don't get involved in that. The secondary is like the 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 reactionary and the audit phase of things. Okay, mm-hmm. you said this was your tax and we don't agree because A, B, C, and D. I mean, I think that absolutely you need a professional unless this is a small thing because the sure. opportunity for either expansion or the wrong result is great. The next is the collection side of things. Okay, there's no disagreement about what it is that you owe. It's just a function of how are you going to afford to pay it. Mm-hmm. Um, in that area, you know, it, it, uh, we're again they're not the best judge of it because a lot of our clients it's a result of audits or other things you know transfer liabilities assessments etc but you've described the perfect formula for probably 98% of collection cases 
at least with self-employed individuals. It's the the failure to make a proper estimated tax payments, which I will say then becomes the number one barrier to resolving the issue. If I could have a dime for every time (laughs) I've told a self-employed client, the number one thing you have to do to fix this problem Mm -hmm. in years past is start prepaying the current year. Got it. Yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense. And that's probably the, one of the most difficult things for self-employed people to do. But once they've been down the road a while and had a couple issues, then I think that... that uh, yeah, easier that's, said than done. I, I, I understand that. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so um, you know, with our products, we don't necessarily have to show returns. So uh, how important is that? Like, would, would you say, like, is that a good thing for potential borrowers to be able to get more loans if they don't have to show you know, they're, they're 1040s and they can like, we'll just use 12 months bank statements per se, instead of uh, going after a tax return. What's the advantage would you say? I mean, you were talking earlier about how, you know, CPAs don't even like if you share your tax return, right. With a third party. Like, yeah, you know, I, I can see merit in not disclosing the return for, you know, the two sides of the coin is it, it shows a lot more than your bank statements. Sure. But it also shows a lot more than your bank statements. It shows you're eating a Taco Bell and in and out and it, you know You know, and there's a lot of there's a lot of information on a return that right. it, you might not it, it's not relevant to, to creditworthiness or getting a loan sure. and you don't really want that. You know, if you if you have six figures worth of medical expenses because you have some obscure disease that you're afraid about being discriminated against because right. of that, I mean that that's there on your return and that might not be what you want out in the in um, others to know. And you mentioned that on the preparers, absolutely yes. So we in addition to the tax side of it, one of my subspecialties is we advise uh, return preparers and tax professionals on their ethics and licensing issues, etc. And we at least counsel them and most, if they didn't already get this recommendation from us, will have a provision in their engagement agreement that disclaims third-party reliance and affirmatively tells taxpayers, do not use your tax return for third-party reliance. Hmm. So the CPA would be... Um, relieved to know that wasn't going in there because you know the, the, the fingers if there was something to go wrong right you know they don't want it to point to them mm-hmm. and invariably if they use the return that the client lied to them about you know it, it, they don't want to be put in a position where the tax return serves the same purpose as some type of other attest type engagement like an audit review or etc do you think someone should worry about like giving their bank statements to a lender versus their tax return like is that going to trigger any kind of you know like like let's say you know on a mortgage that you're reporting like your income is higher than you are on your say on your tax return because that's technically what's happening here like when we do these mortgage programs with bank statements we're saying okay they're actually making this much money um, and they're putting that on the mortgage application versus you know providing their tax return to the lender where the lender's going to look at the tax return and say, well, you got all these write-offs, these losses. And, you know, you're actually, you know, in, in our calculation, you only made, you know, five grand a month and, you know, say 60 grand for the year, but your bank statements are going to show that you made, you know, $200,000 for the year. So there's a big difference there, obviously. Is there any issues, do you think, with that, with, with you know, potential issues in the, along the, you know, in the future? Like if someone were to come back and audit and ask for your mortgage application and stuff? We have, we have seen that type of situation. Yeah. Um, we have. And, and you know, it, it's compatible. It doesn't, sure. I mean, if it's... Because there's not the, the write-offs are going to be, you know, allowed by the tax code. And, and it's something different where you might have a tax return and you wouldn't have a savvy originator who looks 
at this and figures out the adjusted gross income is mm -hmm. you know negative one hundred thousand. Well, they don't understand that that was a you know an NOL carryover from sure. twelve years ago that, right. that reduced it. So the bank statements would maybe more accurately reflect it. Right. Um, it, if it gets to the point where the IRS is comparing apples to apples, the return and the um, loan applications or loan documents, and, and there is a big unexplainable disparity, mm -hmm. it, it needs to be a full stop. Call a tax lawyer and talk to you. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So you see, um, obviously deal deal with a lot of self-employed people. What, what are your thoughts on the trends in America and, you know, in, in self-employment right now? You think it's going up? You think more people are becoming self-employed and, um, the self-employed absolutely has, it seemed kind of a boom to it in part, I think because of kind of the gig economy, you're yep. seeing the Ubers, the Lyft side hustle. So, yeah. So you're seeing, I think an expansion of that area. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as kind of profitability, we're kind of seeing a little bit of an uptick. People's, mm -hmm. you know, gross receipts and profit margins seem to be going up. That's good. Um, and at least the stabling off of the the interest rate hikes, the, yeah. um, the Fed seems to be kind of a boost to a lot of self-employed people. Uh, ancillary real estate, construction, um, you know, heavy stuff as well. You know, big construction, not just you're your, your around the corner home builder, but but large scale construction seems to be back and booming as well. That's great. Okay, so there's some laws that have been changed um, on the tax write-off on a house, like mm -hmm. on a primary residence. Talk a little bit about how that's benefit or if it's not. It was a big concern initially. A lot of people yeah. feared that there was going to be this limitation uh, on um, mortgage interest deduction and yep. on state and, and local taxes, which included your real estate taxes. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of discussion about the two coasts and how this would, would impact them. Yeah. It, it has... You've certainly seen people, and, and again, I couldn't point to any empirical information from our firm. I just anecdotally, you've seen people who were probably paying a little bit more this year than they were in the past. Mm -hmm. I have not seen it impact anybody's decision either to buy or sell right. real estate. Is not changed that at all. It's, it's such a delay, fear. right? Like you, you're the buying a house is super immediate. Like you get that, you know, I, your wife sees the kitchen or whatever, and you're like, I want this house, and then you deal with the taxes later. You're gonna have that tax hit in a year from now or whenever it comes. But um, but yeah, so I could see that where 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 it wouldn't really affect you immediately. Is that is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the last thing I like to ask my. Um, my guess is as entrepreneurs, we have, you know, failures and successes. What, what would be your favorite failure that you've had? Cause I'm sure you've had some in your career. Yeah. Um, I don't know, John, as we're thinking about business and stuff like that, I, not failing to learn the lesson earlier that, that you to get money up front <laughs> for, from some clients. Yeah. And then, um, I was always remiss. I regretted, you know, when I was in my later part of my education, uh, you know, everybody makes financial decisions and, you know, I needed to be in a job that paid and I couldn't continue to take unpaid internships. And I, and I passed up a position at the, at the department of justice and, and I'm always been kind of regretful that I never got that experience. Interesting. Did, uh, were you able to still learn some stuff from that or did you, uh, do, would you go take a job? Oh yeah. I mean, look it, it, in hindsight now looking at it, we've been extremely fortunate and you know, we're in San Diego and, and, um, you know, 
none of that might have come to fruition if I'd taken that other path. So. Absolutely. Well, any uh, any last bits of advice for a mortgage broker that's looking to potentially partner up with a person like yourself that works at, you know that has a law firm? Like any any kind of tips on how to approach you know for a referral relationship? You know, when I first started, I cold called and I went door to door, and you know yeah. you just build that network and, and understand the goals and the desires of, right. of the professional and and that you know being respectful of that relationship I think is the is the key and maybe to bring kind of the product selection and say hey and educate you know like an attorney yeah. like like say hey this is what we've got like did you know that we can do these type of loans that and John I couldn't tell you that that would be invaluable approach to doing it because right. that as I said that you know cold call it, yeah yes but, but bring we get value, it all the time right? and you know it, it we do get inundated and it is easy to dismiss but if there's something you know unique about the product or the offering that we perceive that we can bring value to our clients right that would make all the difference in the world awesome that's great well thanks for coming on kevin yeah it was my pleasure thank you for listening to our podcast if you guys are looking for more content like this we have a fun loans youtube channel where we give away more tips secrets and origination ideas you can also email us at info at funloans.com. And if you've made it this far, I think it's safe to say you like our content. So please subscribe, share, and send us your scenarios. Let's fund loans together.